I have a seven-year-old granddaughter, seven and a half years old. Her name is Sophia. And she has an interesting quality about her. Uh, she looks so innocent, but she is fearless. She is fearless. You see her right there on the front where she can be immediately thrown out when they hit the water. She is fearless. She took uh, my wife, Gail, my daughter, Ashley, on the flume when she was six years old. She does not care. She's going to go for it no matter what. And so when she said, Grandpa, will you go on the Loch Ness Monster with me? I said, sure. Let's go on the Loch Ness Monster. I used to ride this all the time in another life in a land long ago, far, far away. And, uh, and I thought, no problem, no sweat, Loch Ness Monster. Let's go for it. Now, she is not tall enough to ride the Loch Ness Monster. However, she has gone out and manipulated her father to buy her platform sandals that are three inches high so that she just barely makes it, the little tips of her blonde hair just sort of make it so she can get on it. And so we go and we get on and we sit toward the back and I know there's a debate over should you sit in the back or should you sit in the front and I just went wherever she wanted to go. So we sat in the back. So we go climbing up, 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 up. I forgot how long the climb was. And then the front car goes over and it's a long time before the back car goes over. It gives you more time to, to think and I'm starting to wonder, is this really a good idea? for me to be on. So we go through the first dive and your stomach goes like, whoa, it's somewhere else. And, and by the time we hit the bottom and started to come up, I knew that I had made a big mistake because my, my back, my entire skeletal system was removed from my body. <laughs> it was somewhere hanging in a tree, uh, which would be great for Hal scream. But the, uh, it was just, I, it took me literally, this is not an exaggeration, two to two and a half weeks to get over that ride. I had to go to the massage place on Rosemont Road. You know, I, just, I sort of felt weird, like I'm walking into a massage place. Here's my 20 bucks. Can I get somebody to massage my body? Uh, I did that twice. I had to see my chiropractor a number of times. Uh, I had to take, you know, bottles and bottles. I was drinking Advil by the bottle. You know, and, and so I learned this basic lesson after that. And Sophia doesn't know I'm never going to write it again. So if you see her, don't tell her. But here's my lesson. I can't go there anymore. I can't go there. It's not good for me. It's not healthy for me. And if there's a lesson that I want you to learn this morning about the chatterbox, it's that same lesson. You can't go there anymore. It's not good for you. It's not healthy for you. Stephen Furtick writes in his book when he's describing the chatterbox. Chatterbox says things like, I am an angry person. I am a screamer. I'm a stuffer. I just stuff everything down and then later on it just kind of explodes somewhere. I am just like my mother. I am just like my father. I am a wreck. My life is out of control. I am a people pleaser. And every time I please people, I just get in trouble because I go too far and I do too much. And, and I enable. I am insecure. I don't really know who I am or what I should be doing. I am always coming unglued. And the chatterbox keeps chatting away, telling you, this is who you are. This is what you can't do. This is why your life is a mess. And here's the principle, the principle that makes all the difference in life. The voice 
you believe will determine the future you experience. The voice you believe will determine the future you experience. So let me teach you this morning about the chatterbox. I call this chatterbox 101. And there's four parts to it, and each part has scripture and some stories. Chatterbox 101. Always know what God says. You can crash the chatterbox by always knowing what God says. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. What's always interested me about this particular section is Jesus owned all of that already. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He owns the universe. How are you going to offer him anything he doesn't already own? Which is a little IQ test there for the devil. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. What a great story. And the greatest part of that story, while there are many, many different theological implications, the greatest part of that story in, in its purest essence is Jesus shut down the chatterbox by knowing God's word. He shut down an attempt even to manipulate God's word by using God's word in its truest sense. When you know God's word, when you use God's word, when God's word is in your heart and in your mind, you have the power to shut down the chatterbox. The chatterbox is going to say, you can't do it. How are you going to do it? What do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And you can just shut that down by using God's word anytime, anyplace, anywhere. In, in Romans chapter 8, Paul does it this way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And in chapter 7, he's, he's talking about the chatterbox inside of his own mind. This is, this is Paul, the great apostle, the great defender of the faith, the great theologian. And he's going, I got this chatterbox inside of my head. Romans chapter 7, chatterbox, chatterbox, chatterbox. And, and I'm struggling with this all the time. But he knows that the chatterbox goes down every time 
he grounds his life in the truth of God's love and God's grace through Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In, in verse 25 of the previous chapter, chapter 7, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chatterbox 101, always know what God says. In Furtick's book, he writes an interesting little story. My grandfather died, my grandmother died of Alzheimer's disease over a decade ago. At first, the effects of her disease were subtle. Stephen, how's, how's school, she'd ask, only to repeat the question a dozen more times over the course of a three-hour visit. But this was just the beginning of a deterioration that was agonizing to watch. I can't imagine what it was like for her to go through it. Toward the end of her life, after 12 years of suffering, the disease had pretty much erased the hard drive of her memory. She couldn't remember who I was or who my mom, her daughter was. She couldn't even remember the name of her husband of more than 50 years, although he stayed at her side daily, combing her hair, telling her how beautiful she was until the very end. In spite of all this, there's one thing she never forgot, and I'll never forget this either. She never forgot how to sing the hymns she had hidden in her heart. So when we go sit with Grandma at the nursing home and try to start a conversation, nothing would happen. But when we'd start singing something like, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, she'd pick up the next line. There is no shadow of turning with thee. And she'd continue on singing verses I'd never even heard before, remembering almost every word. It made an incredible impression on me. I was amazed how her weakened voice would recall the notes and the syllables that had shaped her throughout her whole life. And for a few moments during those visits, we almost forgot her sickness as we remembered God and worshiped together. She had spent her life allowing the Spirit of God to fill her with eternal truth, and she never forgot it, even when she could remember nothing else. Where do you put God's Word in your life? Where do you put God's Word, and how do you put God's Word in your heart? It's, it's a very important question. Because there are going to come moments and times when God's word is the only thing that will save you from the chatterbox. God's word is the only thing that will put your feet back on a rock after you have had, had a, an incredibly rough go in life, or you've crashed, or you've fallen, or some, some things have happened that you really didn't ever expect were going to happen. Do you go to a Bible study? Are you in a women's Bible study? Are you in a men's Bible study? Do you, do you get anything on your iPhone? Most of us have iPhones, and every day on my iPhone, I get a verse of the day. I also have all of the daily bread books from the last two years. They're all on my phone now. I just have to hit an icon, boom. I can have a daily bread as much as I want all day long. I use it very, very frequently, and sometimes I find a daily bread passage like the one from yesterday that just kind of drives it all home. Where does God, God's word show up in your technologically sophisticated existence? See, we live in a country that was established and built and, and that became so successful because of a Judeo-Christian value system, because of biblical principles that grounded us upon which we built a nation. And yet today we go this way and we go that way and it slides like this and it slides like that. And, and it seems as if we have forgotten that it's the word of God 
that keeps us secure. It's the word of God that, that pushes back the chatterbox and, and crashes the chatterbox and keeps it from overwhelming our lives. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Always know what God says because the voice you believe will determine the future you experience. Always know what your gift is and stay in it. Each of us has a gift that God has given us. It's, it's part of who we are. It's, it's what we do well. It's what we do very naturally. It just kind of flows from us. 2 Corinthians 10 from the message. The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog -dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way, never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. You stare and stare at the obvious, but you can't see the forest for the trees. Furtick puts it this way. At this point in your life, what great deeds are in danger of remaining undone because of lies that were planted in your past or fears that are looming in your future? Is there a throb or an ache because of a sense of purpose in your heart that remains unfulfilled? What weeds are growing in the cracks of some of the God-inspired ideas you've abandoned? How many contributions that God created you to make for his glory are still wrapped in good intentions because they've been neutralized by spiritual hesitation? What this passage is telling us is that we've got to use the tools that God has given us to take down the chatterbox. Always know what your gift is and stay with it because in your gift, there are, there are places in your life that just naturally crash the chatterbox. When you do what God has asked you to do, the chatterbox can't stand in your way. It's frustrating to the chatterbox when you do what you're designed to do, when you accomplish your giftedness. And we're all gifted in, in, in any number of ways. Some of us are gifted in teaching. When we went to, to Togo recently, uh, one of our team members, Liva Hathaway, she's a teacher in the Virginia Beach public school system. And so what was she doing on the trip? She was teaching. And I would just like set her loose. Viva, you're gonna you're gonna teach the women this afternoon. You're gonna do that whole thing this afternoon. And then the next day, Viva, they need you to teach the women. And her teaching gift was so obvious anytime she was with people, people wanted to listen to her, and people would sit around her, and she would just give the gift of her teaching ability away to people. And every time she did that, there was no voice that could stand against that. There was no voice of judgment or condemnation over her life. Maybe you have the gift of giving, 
and you give and you give and you give and out of your generosity, ministry happens and mission happens. And every time you give, you feel the joy that God has put in your heart because he gave you the gift to give. He gave you the resources to give away. And so you give your resources away and you feel great joy. And every time you do that, you crash the chatterbox that says, what you have is for yourself. What you have, you earned. Why don't you keep more of what you have? And you go, no, God gave me the gift to make things happen for his kingdom and for his purposes. Maybe you have the gift of just helping and supporting, and the Bible talks about that gift, or the gift of administration. The Bible even talks about the gift of administration, where you are the person who keeps things in order. You are the person who takes care of the details that, that nobody else takes care of. That's a great gift, and when you do that, you crash the chatterbox that says, you don't have a place in the world. You don't have a great gift. Every gift is a great gift if God gave the gift. Whatever gift you have is a great gift and it makes a difference in the kingdom of God. One of our volunteers is Millie. And Millie was here yesterday and I was, I was walking through the lobby and I saw Millie and she was so excited about the baptism table that she had just finished setting up. And all the towels perfectly lined up in a beautiful pyramid style and, and everything was done just properly and in order. You know, if that was my job, the towels wouldn't be folded. The towels would be on the floor, laying over here, laying over. I would have forgot the towels. I wouldn't set it up. You know, would have, I would have, it just would have been a complete, you know, towel mania type of an experience. But see, her gift is helping, and her gift is administration. And so she, she puts things in order. She takes care of things. She remembers to get things done. And that's a great gift in the economy of God. When you always know what God has asked you to do, and you are doing it, you crash the chatterbox that says, you can't do it. You'll never get there. You won't amount to anything. Your life is, is a mess. You put that down. You put that away because you are using your gift to create something great in what God is doing. Chatterbox 101, always know what God says. We smash the chatterbox with God's truth. Chatterbox 101, always know what your gift is and stay in it because you're doing something great in God's economy with your gift. Chatterbox 101, always know what God has asked you to do and do it. Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I love the way the phrases turn in the message. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice 
what you learned from me and what you heard and saw and realized. Do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Always know what God has asked you to do and do it. Each of us has a job to do. We have our gift, and our gift tells us sort of the, the zone that we're supposed to be in. But within that zone, there are specific things that have to get done. And when you're doing that thing that God asked you to do, you are crashing the chatterbox. You are keeping the voices that are trying to define you in a negative way or in a way that is robbing you of peace. You're keeping them at bay because you are doing what God has asked you to do and you are staying the course. Working in promised land is doing what maybe God has asked you to do. Serving with our student ministry team is maybe what God has asked you to do. Um, just serving here in any capacity, in any Bible study ministry, in any A2 classroom, whatever God has asked you to do, it's right there. And, and instead of hearing a voice that says, well, you're not, you can't, you don't really have anything to give to that church, or you don't have anything, there's, there's people that are better than you to do stuff, you crash that by doing something. You crash that by taking the opportunity to get out there and do something. The first time I was getting ready to go to, to Africa, I had never wanted to go to Africa. There was nothing in me that said, someday you have to go to Africa and do something there. But God said, Michael, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. Please do this. We'll go together. And I will be with you. And I went, not sure of what was going to happen, not sure we would even accomplish anything four years ago. And God did something amazing that, on that trip. And God has continued to do things that are amazing on subsequent trips, right up to the, the video that I showed you last week. And if you didn't get to see the video, just go to springbranch.org. The big water slide will come up. You click on it. You can see what we've been able to do. Whenever you do what God has asked you to do, and you stay in it, and you stay in it for the long haul, you see the difference that God makes over years and years and years of involving your life in ministry. You are crashing the chatterbox that says, you got nothing to offer, your life doesn't really count, everybody's better than you. All of those lies want to bring your life down. You have to crash those lies. Always know what God says. Always know what your gift is and stay in it. Always know what God has asked you to do and do it. And finally, always find time to recharge your mind and heart. Because when you're tired or when you're weary, the chatterbox gets louder. The chatterbox knows you're vulnerable when you're tired, when you're worn down. The chatterbox knows when you didn't take a day off and now one week rolled into the next week and you just, you know, one little thing can just set you off. In his book, Furtick tells a story. I can't, I don't have time to read it here today, but he tells a story about the day after Christmas when after, you know, doing 10 Christmas services and preaching all those times, and he was worn to a frazzle, and something happened, and it set him off, and he just exploded in front of one of his children. He exploded to his wife over the phone, and he used words that he knows he should have never 
abused, and he had feelings that he knows he should have never had, and the chatterbox took him down because he was vulnerable, because he was tired, because he was worn down by doing things that were good. But you can't let doing things that are good wear you down because the chatterbox will see that, that seam and, and insert itself into your life. Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The message puts it this way. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or as a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. What Paul is saying here in his letter to the Galatians is, when do you just stop for a minute? Life is pushing you hard and fast down the road. And when you just let that happen 24-7, 365, the chatterbox is going to take you down. You are so vulnerable. When do you just stop and say, God, what do you you need to say to me? I'm listening. God, what do you need me to do? I'm ready to do it. When do you take a moment? When do you take a, a day or a week or a weekend and you devote it to your own spiritual maturity to your own spiritual growth and development. When do you do that? Paul's saying, if you don't do that, the chatterbox will get you. If you don't do that, the chatterbox will take you down. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. Who do you think you are? You're not going to get... Come on. You got to be kidding me. You, you do that. You go there. You make anything happen of any significance. You know, I stopped by the, there's a car wash up here yesterday. There's often a car wash up the street here. And I saw all these teenagers out there and I thought, okay, you know, I'll let them wash my car. I really didn't want to let them wash my car. But I thought, okay, I'll let them wash my car because they're, they're teenagers and this will be an encouragement to them. So I pulled in and as soon as they started washing the car, the chatterbox went off in my head. You missed that spot. If you squeegee a window, you got to start at the top. You don't start at the bottom. You start at the bottom, then everything sort of drips and drips. It's like, what are you, what are you, what are you even doing here? Um, you know, don't. Oh, oh, you drop the rag on the ground. You don't pick up the rag you dropped on the ground and then wash the car. It picks up stones. It, and then all of a sudden it hit me, Dad. You know, the chatterbox of all those things that come in our family life, all those things that, that we've heard for years and years and years, it's like a recording that's there, and you have to have time, and you have to have rest to 
get those voices out of your head and get straight with the one voice that matters the most of all the voices. The voice you believe will determine the future you experience. Always find time to recharge your heart and mind. This came home to me this week as I heard about a good friend of mine who passed away last week, about two years younger than me. He was my neighbor from across the street. We played basketball together all the time. I remember the day his father put the basketball hoop up on the garage roof, creating an oasis in the backyard there for all of us to just come. And, and we, had, we had tournaments and games and playoff games, and we ran around and we ran around and we ran around, and, and, and we did that for years and years. And, and, and he had great success in life. Then he went through a divorce. Then he lost his career. And things just went horribly wrong. And the chatterbox started to talk at him. You're no good. You can't do it. You're never going to be anything ever again. And he forgot to find the time to recharge his life with the voice of God. This is so much more serious sometimes than we think it is. Furtick wrote, if you had to describe the devil's main activity in one word, what word would you use? Temptation? He certainly does plenty of that. Yet I don't think temptation is the devil's main activity or his most deadly weapon. In the last book of the Bible, the Apostle John gives an eyewitness preview of the epic battle between good and evil. In that account, he calls Satan by a name that isn't found anywhere else in the Bible. The accuser, packed tightly into that one-word title, is a revelation of the most devastating game the enemy plays with the hearts of God's children. Satan's main job isn't temptation. It's accusation. You're really no good. You really, come on. You think, you think you're somehow going to finally figure it all out? You think you... You think you deserve those things the people down there at the church are, are telling you? Those people, they're different. You don't deserve that. You're not, you're not good enough. Accusation. And when accusation piles upon accusation, and when you allow condemnation to run the cutting edge of your life, the chatterbox wins. Because the chatterbox is all about bringing you down, taking you out of the game, taking you off of God's team, taking you out of what God is doing in the, in the world. If, if the enemy can take you out of it, he's won. Furtick says, the enemy may have a word, but he doesn't have the last word. Take the first half of the equation the enemy is presenting to you. Then insert grace and truth in the middle of it, and you'll discover a much different outcome. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Last time I looked, that meant me and you and, and everybody. But God so loved the world, 
He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works that any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared beforehand for us to do. And you say, chatterbox, you go away. Chatterbox, you get out of my life. God has called me to something bigger than myself. God has, has saved my life through what he did in Jesus Christ. You have no claim or right to my life. My life has been bought and paid for by the Savior, by the King of Kings and the, the Lord of Lords. And when you have that understanding of God's grace and truth, it takes you to a place of greatness Greatness through your giftedness. Greatness through your service. Greatness through your humility. And he gives us five words in his book. He says these are the five words that you just need to remember no matter what's happening in your life right now. You crash the chatterbox by saying, God will get me through. God will get me through. Crashes the chatterbox every time. So let me ask you some chatter questions before we go. What are the main messages your chatterbox has been bombarding you with lately? What's it saying that's a lie? That's not true about who you are, who God knows you are? What does God want to say to you today about who you are in his truth and grace? You are loved. You are forgiven. You have a great purpose to fulfill in, in what I'm doing in the world. You can stand up and walk into the purpose that I've prepared for you. Where do you need to believe God will get you through? And who will you ask to pray with you about it? Who will you ask to pray with you about it? Because that accountability goes a long way to crashing the chatterbox. We don't crash the chatterbox all by ourselves, but we crash the chatterbox when we work together. Remember I told you I can't go there anymore. I can't go there anymore. It's not it's not healthy for my mind or my body to go there anymore. It's the same way with the chatterbox. You can't go there anymore. It's not good for you, and you don't have to go there anymore. At Harbor Park, there's a, there's a poster on the wall out in, in left field. It's sort of between one of the, the games where you bounce the ball and, and the jumpy thing if you go out there. And there it is. It says, anyone can hear chaos. Marines move to silence it. Anyone can hear chaos. Marines move to silence it. Anyone can hear the chatterbox. Those who know God move to silence it. And they silence it because they always know what God says. They silence it because they always know what their gift is and they stay in it. They silence it because they always know what God has asked them to do and they are doing it. And they silence the chatterbox because they always find time to recharge their hearts and their minds. You see, the voice you believe will determine your future experience. So it's always time to crash the chatterbox. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for allowing us to, to hear your words today, your words about 
hope, your words about life, your words about the future, your words about what you're doing in us and through us, individually and together as the church, a light in the world, the hope of the world. Father, allow us to continue to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. Allow us to crash the chatterbox voices that try to define us. Father, let us only be defined by grace and truth. We give our lives into your holy hands again today. In Jesus' name.